What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt back here for another episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast. I'm here with Daryl Slater. Um, we've been watching some OTAs. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Today, today there was some news about uh, the preseason. The Giants are going to be doing joint practices with the Jets at least one day. They're going to do it at, at the Giants facility for the first time. I think they've done it in the past, either in Florham Park or um, in Albany, which is the famous one, when uh, Jeremy Shockey got into like a bunch of brawls um, against them. But did, did you ever – was there ever any Giants-Jets joint practices when you covered them? How old do you think I am? I don't know. I wasn't sure. <laughs> Have they done it since 2005? I don't know. That's a great – no, I uh, no. Uh, to answer your question, uh, no. I actually did go to a jet, jet uh, I am old. So I did go to a Giants training camp practice in 04. Uh, I don't want to know how old you were then. But I I was in, I, let's see, was it 04? It was, I think it was 03. So going into my senior year of college. Anyway, they practiced in Albany, as everybody knows back then. And um, they had, you know, David Tyree was a rookie. I went to Syracuse working for the student paper. I went and like, oh, how's this rookie David Tyree going to catch on? Well, you know, he wound up. Yeah having a pretty interesting career or at least certainly one gigantic moment. So that was, that was Oh three. So then I guess, uh, two years later, uh, it was Oh five. Um, so Oh five is the last time. I don't know whether they used to do it before Oh five, but Oh five definitely was, I'm looking at it now, the last time, uh, like you said, up in Albany and, and the brawls and, uh, as Rich, Rich Samini, uh, who's very funny from, ESPN tweeted, he said it turned into a WWE event. <laughs> yeah, and like Tom yeah. Coughlin was like arguing with their defensive coordinator yeah. or something too. Like, yeah, heated exchanges between coaches is the way Rich put it on Twitter. Stuff, like, so, that stuff like that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you see it. Well, it's funny because well, you'll see like you'll see like fights and stuff, but it's never like one offs. Yeah, yeah, like um, last summer with with the with the Brown Sterling Shepard was it? Yeah. Oh man, that was that was crazy actually because so for, like, practice is over. I don't even know if we talked. We ever talked about it on here or anything, but so it was. We so the media had watched the practice, and then so they had like the players who were interviewing us at like the opposite end of the field. So like a bunch of us had a run over there, and so we're, we're interviewing guys. And so while we're interviewing guys, apparently Sterling Shepard had gotten into a full-on fight with uh, Troy Hill from the Browns, and we had no idea. Neither did people who work for the Giants. So then Sterling Shepard walks up to do his interview with us, and we don't know that he had just gotten in a fight and he knows that we don't know that he's just gotten into a fight. So we're asking questions about how, you know, there, there hadn't been any fights, but you know, things are getting chippy, but there are no fights or anything. And he just like plays it completely cool and just pretends like the fight did just happen. And then there's like photos and videos of them. The dudes like swinging at each other. <laughs> Great photos. Um, yeah. It was just like a wild, uh, just like the fact that nobody knew what happened besides Sterling Shepard. And he kept, kept it together. Like it, it was like, Pretty wild behavior, if I'm being honest. That's funny. I mean, and yeah. so, look, yeah, I think those that kind of stuff happens of, at joint practices, though. What's her? Yeah, the, I think the jet, the 05 one was especially heated. Um, and I and I don't know, like if you're just doing one practice, well, like if they're just going to do one, I don't know if it's could like yeah, it's reach that level. Than like the full week, yeah. Yeah, then guys start getting um, getting to know each other a little bit in terms and getting tired of each other, whatever. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um. But yeah, that that would be obviously in advance of the Jets Giants preseason game. Yeah, you know it's it's, it's funny. I think the plan because well, last year they did joint practice with the Browns and Patriots, and they did a weird thing at the Patriots where they practiced in New England, even though the game was in New Jersey, and they were going to do like a home and home thing. And they were going to do the opposite this year, but of course Joe Judge got fired, hired by the Patriots. There was all the Flores stuff involving Belichick, 
So it seems like they're not going to do that. It doesn't even seem like, you know, a lot of times coaches come out and talk about how much they love doing joint practice. Dable's been at, Brian Dable has been asked about it a bunch of times and he kind of just like, eh, we're not sure yet. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of talked about. Yeah. He doesn't commit to anything when, yeah, he, when we're asking him. So um, <laughs> that's fair. he didn't rule it in or out, but um, but mostly I, I talked around it. A, lot, a lot of coaches are always hyping up like the positives of doing yeah. this. Thing. And I, I, I think they're better than preseason games because you're just getting like good reps against, you know, maybe it's non-contact or whatever, or light contact or however they do it. You can't touch the quarterback, all that stuff. But I was, it, it seemed like that the NFL is heading towards like all teams just doing joint practices. I feel like they should almost do that instead of preseason games, honestly, but. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that talked about for sure, and it seems like definitely there are more and more of these things. And obviously, the Jets or the Giants rather play the Jets um, in their in the preseason, uh, right? So preseason uh, finale, yeah, finale. Um, well, I shouldn't be looking at Wikipedia because they have it listed wrong. But anyway, so this is the preseason finale, and they also play the Pats and the Bengals. So yeah I guess like you said probably in theory i guess they could do it with the bengals too if they really wanted to but yeah and usually you see with coaches who have a relationship not that necessarily brian dable and, and robert Salah from the jets do obviously the teams are close geographically yeah. so i don't know if there's any kind of connection there between dable and, and zach taylor to speak of um, i'm honestly surprised they didn't do a preseason game with the bills or something like that because don't they have some control yeah. over who they go against is that well, that's a good question i don't know if they do have control over the opponent um that's a good question. I mean, but do you ever – I wonder if teams would be allowed to do joint practices with a team they weren't going to play in the preseason. What if they just want to go play practice with the Bills? What's preventing yeah, them from doing it? You never see that, but I'm just saying, obviously, yeah. we're only saying the Bills because of the obvious connection there. So. Yeah, I mean, they basically are the, the Bills in East Rutherford. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, that's just like – it's not like a huge news item or anything, but it's it'll be interesting. I think it'll be fun to see the Giants going against – you know, because that, that last preseason game, almost nobody relevant plays usually besides guys fighting for roster spots or whatever. So it'll be cool kind of seeing, you know, the Jets who have added a lot of talent this offseason. And it, like if the Giants, like so last year, I would say I, I was in Cleveland for the joint practices in New England. And the first day of Cleveland practice, Cleveland just dominated them. The Giants played a little better the next day. And then New England, New England just like absolutely killed them for, for most of the time. Um, and so you got a pretty good idea that, at that point. I mean, you know, we'd been through training camp and the Giants offense didn't look very good. And I, I think I before training camp, I had the Giants like winning like eight games last year. And I think after training camp and those joint practices, I was like, man, if they get six wins, they might be lucky. And they didn't even get six. So um, I think you learn a lot at those joint practices because, you know, it's easy to get like, you know, overhyped about a receiver having a great camp. But then you forget to factor in that he's going he's going against the Giants cornerbacks or vice versa, you know, so um I think it'll be fun, especially because, you know, we, we both have a bunch of friends that cover the Jets and just interacting with all those guys over there. That'll be fun. It will. Yeah. And then, and, uh, you know, for some of those guys, it's actually quicker to get to East Rutherford. So yeah, uh, depending on where they live, yeah, but not um, having to drive out to Florham Park is also nice for us. So. Yeah, uh, definitely for us. Yeah. Well, like, I'm, I'm about it's about halfway for it's the same. It should say same for distance. Me, yeah. for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um one practice is a little uncommon, like we've established. Yeah. Um, but maybe we'll get lucky and there'll be some melees. I, you know, I shouldn't say that. I don't want anyone to get hurt. But, <laughs> you know, it's a nice, fun melee where everybody's yeah. pulling each other back, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, we can get to some OTA stuff. You know, we lasted a pod a little over two weeks ago. Uh, since then, we've spoken to Kafka and the offensive assistants and then Wink Martindale and the defensive assistance um 
I'd say with Kafka, there wasn't a whole lot to take away. I think it seems like they're heading in the direction of Kafka. Maybe, you know, if, if he's not the primary play caller, he's at least going to be heavily involved. They, Dable still hasn't committed anything, but like Kafka calls the place to the quarterbacks and practice and stuff like that. So I think that's at least interesting. And, um, I saw, I actually saw some people talk to Davis Webb, uh, this week and he was saying that, uh, to like help with some of Kafka's coaching points, like Davis Webb, like FaceTimed Patrick Mahomes for the quarterback room, which is interesting. And the fact that they have that connection because of Kafka and all that, that, that's, that's, I imagine that's helpful. Um, yeah, the offensive coaching staff, not a lot of takeaways. I think Bobby Johnson, I think he, uh, the offensive line coach, I think he understands the pressure that's on him. He's the, I think it's something like the fifth offensive line coach in the last four years or something, something crazy like that. Uh, his work cut out for him. I think on paper he has the most talent this this team has had on the offensive line in a long time, especially if you look at the tackles. Um, you talked to the quarterbacks coach. I, I imagine there wasn't a lot to take away from that, right, Shay Tierney? Yeah, he was, you know, he was okay, you know, talking more and echoing the points that Brian Dable and Mike Kafka mentioned about, you know, not uh, wanting Daniel Jones to be afraid to make mistakes and wanting uh, wanting him to be aggressive in practice. Uh, mistakes meaning, you know, throwing an interception, I should say, if he's being aggressive. Um, and so they're, they're okay with that. Um, and so they want this kid to obviously to, to be aggressive, to push the ball uh, down the field. And so um, that's going to be a big preaching point and talking point for this coaching staff throughout, um, throughout training camp. And, uh, you know, obviously last year they didn't push the ball down the field a lot. And I mean, a lot of that happened be, was a function of a bad offensive line in terms of pass blocking. So, um, the, the mentality is, you know, Shea Tierney said, be aggressive, not reckless. And that was, that was the quote when he talked and, um, but yeah, you know, it's a lot of parroting as you'd expect what Brian Dable says, what Mike Kafka says, and, um, so they're the trio of guys, obviously, who are, who are going to try to get the most out of Daniel Jones here in this really, really big year for him. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like you said, the offensive line coach, the quarterback coach, those would be the main two guys in terms of newsworthiness. Uh, yeah, I mean, staff. I guess you have Mike, you have Mike Groh trying to, trying to coach up guys like Kadarius Tony, obviously, but he's not even really getting the coaching that much because he's hurt again, so. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a big training camp for, I mean, oh, the entire offensive staff, considering the fact that their their receivers have just been so uh, unavailable, I guess yeah. would be the word, right? I mean, so they're getting a chance to develop a guy like Wandale Robinson, obviously, and, you know, see what Darius Slayton can do, which, based on his performance in camp, is, is not much because he's been dropping a lot of balls. And it's been a tough camp for him for a guy that's probably fighting for his job. But, um, yeah, the receiver room's been just banked. Like, it, we go out and we watch team drills, and I think – we see 13 out there and almost every week I forget that it's a guy named Travis Toivonen who was on the practice squad last year. He's getting first team reps, you know, guys like Richie James and, uh, you know, Alex Bachman and David Sills. Like these are their first team receivers right now. So it's kind of hard to judge how the offense looks because of that. But um, those receivers have durability questions and they haven't answered them yet. I would say. Very much so. I mean, Kenny Galladay, the last, um, OTA, the, the one, the, uh, let's see, we're recording this on June 3rd. They, they had one yesterday, the Thursday, June 2nd. But the one before that, he had, to, he had to take himself out of practice. So I don't even think he was in attendance yesterday. Okay. So this is, you know, a guy who has had durability concerns coming to the Giants. And they cropped up to some degree last year. And he was also unproductive. And now, again, here, 
he can't uh, can't stay on the field. And now it's not the end of the world. I mean, obviously that he's maybe whatever, whatever it is. I mean, we don't know because Brian Dable is so evasive when it comes to injuries, but um, maybe not the end of the world here that he's not around. But I mean, it's not the not ideal. Right. I mean, it's just yeah. like another another thing for a guy who can't seem to uh, catch on um, since since coming to the Giants. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be – because on paper, this offense should – I mean, it can't be worse than it was the last two years, but you have this new coaching staff. Uh, you have a better offensive line. You have a healthy Saquon. You know, they got a tight end that they like in the draft, Daniel Bellinger. Um, if those receivers can't stay healthy, then it's going to be hard for this offense to really do much. So um, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. But And then – so then this, then last week, uh, while I was battling COVID, um, you were there for Wink Martindale and the defensive coaches. I mean, I, I obviously read a lot of – what was said, I think a lot of the expected stuff about how they're going to be aggressive and they want to put the quarterback on the ground and stuff like that. I think they said some interesting stuff about Thibodeau, but did you have any takeaways from the defensive day? Yeah, I think the bottom line is like, you know, they do want to be aggressive, but let's see if the secondary can, can do its part. And, yeah. um, you know, you heard of Dory Jackson talking last week a lot about, um, you know, whether you know, that that's, that's the onus on these guys and that's, that's, the pressure on this secondary, this overhauled secondary to be able to play man coverage uh, at times when, um, you know, you're, they're going to want to blitz a lot. So it has to, it has to work both ways. I mean, you could say you want to blitz a lot and blitz a lot, but if your secondary can't hold up in man coverage uh, and Jerome Henderson talked about this a little bit too, saying, you know, well, if we can, if they can get the quarterback quicker, that takes some pressure off the secondary. So it's kind of chicken and egg type stuff, right? Maybe you don't have to cover as long because your pass rushers can get to the quarterback, but if they can't, then you do have to cover a long time and you have to do it man to man. And um, there was a ton of questions about this secondary and then the coaching staff realizes this. And um, Wink Martindale was not necessarily fiery when he talked, we, you know, we asked him about, you know, this notion that this defense is not going to be very good. I think it's not a well-regarded defense. And, you know, does he feel like he has something to prove? And uh, he, he sort of said, we'll, we'll control the narrative, whatever it was. But, you know, you could tell he's a guy who is, um, at least at the podium on that one day, um, seems like a, a, a guy who is wanting to maybe act like a head coach, right? Because mm-hmm. he's, he's a guy who's been mentioned as head future head coaching candidate. He's, you know, obviously interviewed with the Giants before Joe Judge got the job. And so... Uh, maybe the Rex Rex Ryan type mentality right uh, behind the podium is not necessarily appealing to NFL teams anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to say he was Rex in particular, but obviously a very fiery guy. And I'm sure he's much more fiery behind the scenes. So um, that was we'll sort of, see, um, we'll see how it goes when they're, when they give up a lot of points. Yes. To the Cowboys. Yeah. Or yeah. Is he going to light into guys at the podium? Is he going to get really defensive and snippy? Like I, you know, I just even you know. even Patrick Graham, you know, for he always tried not to criticize guys, but then as things are getting really bad, he fi- he got really fiery and like challenged them publicly. So I'm curious to see how it went because they're going to struggle this year. So it's an emotional game, and these guys are emotional coaches. The guys who do it right, I mean, uh, and do it well, and they're certainly emotional behind the scenes. And if and if things are going in an extreme way, one way or the other, especially in a negative way, it's often very hard for them to kind of bottle it up and to and to not have that bubble over. <laughs> Which is which is look good for us. We want these guys to to show and to, to to show how they really are feeling, right? That's the whole point, not to put on an act up there, to be your true uh, true self, I guess. And uh, I think we'll get to see a little bit more of the true Wink Martindale as we go along. It's easy right now to uh, <laughs> to be calm and chill, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how things go along come like say mid October. Yeah. Well, to go back to your cornerback point, like I think yesterday at OTAs we saw. 
um, like the dire straits this group is in because they're relying on Aaron Robinson, who has never been a full-time outside corner, and he wasn't practicing because of some injury. Darnay Holmes wasn't present. Um, so you had Michael Jacquet, who I'm sure you know a lot about, Daryl. Um, sure. He was he was like running with the ones at outside corner for a lot of practice. Um, they had Cordell Fly at nickel most of the practice. He's a rookie. They had Dane Belton, the fourth-round safety. He was playing a lot of – getting a lot of first-team reps. Like this – this secondary, which was supposed to be a strength the last two years, and you could you can make an argument whether it was or wasn't, but it was certainly more talented on paper than this group is. And you're going to see a lot of growing pains, especially early. And if, if even one person gets hurt, especially if that person is a Dory Jackson or Xavier McKinney, like it's going to go from bad to even worse. So, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe they add somebody before the season. Teams can start cutting guys post-June 1. You'll have roster cuts. Um, like it wouldn't surprise me if a guy that winds up starting a bunch of games for them isn't even on the roster right now. Because uh, it could be a type of thing where they just bring in a bunch of guys as inevitably somebody's going to get hurt. So I have a lot of questions about that secondary, that's for sure. But uh, t- but to, to Thibodeau, we, I brought up earlier, I know they said some interesting stuff. He He's banged up. Dable was doing this whole thing where he wouldn't commit to whether he'll be ready for training camp. I imagine he will, but he seems to be moving okay. He's just been limited. Uh, hasn't been participating in team drills, which isn't ideal for a rookie. But um, was there anything that you thought was especially interesting that those guys said to you about him? The one thing, you know, that, that to hear uh, the outside linebackers coach Drew Wilkins talk when the defensive assistant spoke uh, during the second OTA, so last Thursday, um, was, uh, you know, he was asked about the concerns about Kayvon Thibodeau's effort, and I wrote a little something about this um, for a couple of days ago. Um, and, like, why did it, why was he, uh, why was he taking place off? Whatever, whatever the narrative was, and and he in Drew Wilkins, uh, who was with Wink Martindale in Baltimore, so knows the system, knows Wink's uh, approach really well. And basically, you know, he didn't didn't deny that it that the effort was not always consistent, but he sort of offered an explanation of, um, you know, they played a lot of no huddle offenses. You know, when you're on your tenth uh, play of a long drive and you're playing ninety total plays a game, which I look, it's I guess it's it's fair, right? And so you're not going to necessarily play ninety plays a game pretty much ever in the NFL as a defensive player. Um, and so uh, just, just because of teams don't teams don't operate like the PAC 12 does in terms of their offenses. Um, but in the op tempo stuff makes it really taxing on defensive players. So you may not see the same level of play in play out effort as you would from a guy who's defending an offense that's breaking the huddle every play, which I look, it's fair. Um, and certainly there's a lot to like about Kayvon Thibodeau in terms of his production. Yeah. Um, but you know, that was one of the things that was a knock against him and, you know, they've liked what they've seen from his efforts so far. Obviously he's banged up. They haven't seen him out there as much as they would prefer, but, um, it's early and, um, there's still some time for him obviously to get back on the field and then to show everyone, Hey, look, you know, he's going to try really darn hard every play and, and make an impact. Cause they, they need him to do both to, to not only try hard, but to make an immediate impact. Yeah, you know, and I, I think it's going to be important to temper expectations a little bit, which you know is going to be hard because he's this big personality. But, um, like, the odds of him coming in and getting 10 sacks, you know, it, it's it's certainly not easy because I have a lot of tension on him. I think what you might see is his presence helping a guy like Aziz Ojolari or Leonard Williams or something like that. But um, I am curious to see, like, how he handles it when, you know, this has kind of been a big talking point since the Combine, really, like how he handles it when he does go a few games without getting any sacks because that's certainly going to happen. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve. Um, I mean, that's that's pretty obvious um, from minute one that he was drafted. Um, he he does not hold back. I mean, he was 
then right in Vegas and, and draft night, he was already talking smack. I'd say, you yeah. know, quarterbacks, nameless faces, faceless guys mm-hmm. coming for all of them. And Hey, great. I mean, love covering a guy like that. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but certainly if, if he doesn't deliver, um, after especially making, you know, talking pretty boldly, it's sort of like, all right, well, well, what's the deal here? And um, now I do think in general, probably being an edge rusher is one of the easier rookie positions, probably corner, one of the harder. Um, maybe, you know, like, we've it's, seen it's a lot like, of, it seems like receivers become like the easiest one. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, definitely. Um, so like, Yes, it's going to be harder for him to beat some of the tackles in the NFL, obviously. Um, but, you know, it's not necessarily this position that's like super uh, cerebral. It's sort of a pin your ears back as the cliche goes and go get him. Uh, but like you said, I mean, that let's we should temper the expectations um, yeah. because uh, I mean, let's be honest. Like, the, the, lost in all this is the fact that Leonard Williams is, is remains a pretty ineffective pass rusher. Like, he's the guy who they need to have a really good year and carry the load and everything. They shouldn't be putting it all on um, Kayvon Thibodeau here. Like, Leonard yeah. Williams is making twenty one million dollars a year, and he and he didn't have a good PFF pass rush grade last year. He had six and a half sacks. Not good enough. Not nearly good enough. So, yeah. like, let's see if he can actually play like to the level of his contract before we. Um, put everything on, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau to be the savior of this pass rush. But look, expectations for high for him are for are high for him to produce, whether that's sacks or freeing up other guys. And I think the same thing should be said about Evan Neal, because I think there's this expectation he's this big dude who's known for just like dominating guys. But um, you know, and Andrew Thomas is a different player, but you know, Andrew Thomas struggled a lot as a rookie, as everybody remembers. And this is gonna be Evan Neal's first real time, like in the real spotlight in New York. Everybody pays attention to the offensive line here. They'll know if he's struggling. There's all the PFF stuff these days. So, um, you know, I don't, you know, maybe he'll come out and be really good right away. And he has the talent to be that. But that's another one I would temper expectations. Um, I guess since we're talking about rookies, we can jump into some OTA observation. I wrote today about um, how, like, there's a couple rookies that it seems like are going to wind up playing a lot for them. Uh, Daniel Bellinger, I mentioned earlier, is the main one. He, he was running with the ones almost exclusively yesterday. And, it's different with other guys in that there's not, a, like, injured guys behind Ricky Seals-Jones was running with the twos. Jordan Akins was out there with the backups. I, I find it interesting that they have a rookie running out there at tight end. Dame, Dame Belton was getting some reps in the first team, as I mentioned. Cordell Flott at, at the nickel. Like, I, I think we knew that when they made the, did this draft that they would be getting guys that they needed to play right away. But I, I do find it interesting that right away the coaching staff is throwing them in with the first team. Because I feel like... A lot of teams don't do that in in like OTAs. I think they wait till training camp or the season, if anything, right? Yeah, I mean, you even see with the Jets, Sauce Gardner is not getting first team reps. Yeah, there you, go. <laughs> you know, obviously he's going to start, and it's yeah. all posturing. But, um, but yeah, I I, th- I think you know, if you look at tight end, that's a position that they were uh, everyone kind of moaned and groaned about Evan Ingram, you know, past couple of years, and you know, obviously he was an underwhelming player considering where he was drafted, um, but. They're worse at tight end now. I mean, yeah. for as much griping as there was about Evan Ingram, they're worse at tight end. Like Ricky Seals Jones is is not as good as Evan Ingram, um, and uh, and you know that's not necessarily a low bar. I guess it would be like a medium bar uh, <laughs> to clear. But uh, Bellinger is going. You think would probably have a role immediately. I mean, uh, considering the fact that number one, you know, their tight end situation is not great, and number two, he's a fourth round pick. So um, it's not like he's a sixth round pick. So 
they're going to give him every opportunity here to show that he can um, he can contribute, and they are doing that. And um, you know, they're not shying away from going right in with their guys. Um, yeah. Now, Seals Jones, of course, one of the, you know they signed him Free too, agents, yeah. but um, going right in with their draft picks, their rookies, and um, saying, "Hey, look, you know, maybe, maybe there's going to be some growing pains, but like they, these are the guys that they view as as their future." You know, it's funny. I was on, I was randomly on a radio show in Jacksonville yesterday. Um, I guess they're doing like a team by team NFL preview thing. And the way they framed the question around Evan Ingram, it's just funny seeing like the, like the different perspective. Cause they, they were like, you know what? Evan Ingram had however many catches he had for the Giants last year. And like the, the, the Jaguars haven't had a tight end with that many catches uh, ever or like since <laughs> 10 years or something like that. Wow. All right. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, when you put it like that, I guess. You know, maybe he's going to be pretty good for you guys. But I would say because he was like asking how Giants fans are dealing with him leaving or how they're going to, you know, replace him. I'm like, I'd say it's probably best for everybody that he's leaving. <laughs> um, it's just funny, like, think of that perspective because there's a lot of teams that don't, haven't really used the tight end very well. And I'm curious yeah. to see how the Giants use it, honestly. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, you think um, you look at typically a West Coast offense team like, um, like the Jets, right? They'll, they'll, they really need to use the tight end, and they really bought, you know, they really um, bolstered that position with yeah. CJ Ozama this offseason. But, um, you know, is that as much of a focus as Brian, of Brian Dable's offense? Um, obviously, Doug Peterson, you know, you could see with what they, what the money they gave Ingram, they value it. Um, yeah. He values that. I mean, his, his, I mean, he values his offense better than I do just from having covered him in the Eagles. But, um, they so the Jaguar. They, Evan Ingram had forty six catches that last year. <laughs> the yeah. Jaguars. It's been that long since they've had a, even I, a semi production like that. Thing. I can't remember what he said. It was like That's a crazy. long time though. Yeah, because they just like never used the tight end with their last coaching staffs. I guess. Yeah. Right. Um. And so, it is a, probably you know it's definitely best for both parties. You know, for him to have a fresh start. Um. Obviously, they kind of phased him out last year. Yeah. Uh, 73 targets after 109 in 2020 um, when he had a decent year. 109 for 109 targets, 63 catches, 654 yards. So, um, I, you know, he's Evan Ingram is a guy who's a fine enough tight end. I mean, was he worth picking 20th, 23rd overall? No, he wasn't. Yeah, but, he, was, he was a victim of being picked too high, which isn't his fault, really. Right, and, and remember, it wasn't even a Dave Gettleman pick. Nope. Um, that was you know the late Jerry last year, last draft for Jerry Reese. Um, yes, so he, he didn't produce to the level of, of, of a first-round pick, but it's not like he was a complete and total bust. And um, it'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does in Jacksonville, and, and the Giants uh, will get to see him when they go down yeah. there, obviously. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, so I figured – you know, I I was just thinking of some like uh, takeaways I've had from OTA so far. Like the a few that jumped to my head uh, right away. We talked about Darius Slayton earlier. I think there's a legit chance they cut him after training camp if if not if they don't try and trade him. I don't know how much they can get for him. He's a good kid. I think he's proven productive. So I think he'll get scooped up pretty quick. He might even be a guy that gets like claimed on waivers, uh, kind of thing. But yeah, it's been been a tough go for him, and it's unfortunate because you know he he looked really good that rookie year, and I think there was a lot of high hopes for him, but he wound up becoming a fifth round guy that was drafted in the fifth round probably for a reason. Um, uh, I'd say I, I, th- I found it interesting how they've been using Saquon Barkley in, in practice. They've been, you know, bumping him out or t- to receiver a lot, which they just haven't done since his rookie year, really. Um, there, I saw one play a couple weeks ago where like Matt Breida was at running back and Saquon was at receiver yesterday. There was a player like Darius Slayton was like kind of in the backfield and 
and Saquon was lined up at receiver, I think that's probably a package meant more for like a Kadarius Tony. Um, I don't know. I just find it interesting that you're seeing like some actual creativity from the play callers, and I'm going to be interested to see if that carries over into the season because we haven't seen that in a couple years here, obviously. Indeed, we haven't. Uh, <laughs> and so, yes, I did know. I noticed that as well. Now, one OTA that uh, I, I wasn't sure, like, if we're allowed to, how much we're allowed to write that. Like, I just yeah, go ahead and write it. This time of the year, we are. But I think as we get to like training camp, they they uh, ask us not to like. Yeah. Uh, the, the Jets have typically been anal, really anal about that stuff. But anyway, it's, it's you know, there it is. It's already out there and millions of people will hear it on here. So that's, uh, hey, there you go. Um, so you, you, you say millions you want, of people hear it on here. Yeah, yeah you missed that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, the secret's out, right? So um, I'm sure I'm sure Mike Vrabel is listening to this oh, podcast. Yeah, right wait, now. What? They're doing what? Yeah, writing furiously scribbling on a legal pad, right? Uh, hey, Mike. But it's uh, on. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, hey Mike. It's obvious uh, that the, that Saquon Barkley has uh, a versatility. I mean, yeah. he thought as a rookie. I mean, it, it, people talk about his production, and, and when you talk about his, his production as a rookie, right? Like he had the number. He had seven hundred and twenty-one receiving yards as a rookie. 91, 91 catches, I believe, right? Yeah, ninety-one catches for seven twenty-one and thirteen oh seven rushing. So he had like more than half of the receiving yards the rushing if that makes sense right so um well, but also so he, if you look at all the receiving stats he's had since then i believe it's less than those numbers like right if you go down the line uh down. well in 2019 so he's had since 29 since that rookie season he's had 99 catches for 761 yards of four touchdowns and he had yeah. 91 for 721 and four touchdowns in one year so i think i know he's been banged up and stuff but I mean, you yeah, can I mean, it's look still, at 2019, it's still really, they weren't really throwing to him in 2019. Last year, it was all like dump-offs when they threw it to him because mm-hmm. the Giants' offense was obviously just an absolute disaster last year, and he he didn't really look like himself. So it's going to be interesting. Like, I think they're, they're really going to try and get him out in space and, and try and take advantage of that as long as he can stay healthy. A good stat here on Pro Football Reference, I'm looking at these numbers, is yards per target, which is kind of an interesting stat. So mm-hmm. he had six yards per target in 2018 and 2019. So pretty consistent, right? Like he could get out there and they could – um, he could make some plays and they would push the ball a little bit down the field to him last season's yards per target, which I don't really ever cite this stat much, but it's interesting just looking at it now last season was 4.6 yards. per target. Yeah. So not only were they not throwing to him as much, they, you know, they were, it wasn't producing the type of yardage for, for whatever reason, um, design execution. Um, but yeah, in, in fact, they have a stat of average, average depth of target. And I mean, I guess, it, it, half a he averaged a half a yard for average depth of target, which just means they were throwing it to him at the line of scrimmage, essentially on screen. Yeah, that's another good one. Um, so it backs up everything you were saying about the way they were using him. Um, and let's see if you know that can change up a little bit. Obviously, it's a critically important year for him. Yeah, for sure. And then an, another thing I, I uh, think has been notable is Shane Lemieux has been like the clear. It seems like he's going to be the left guard starter unless. Like the rookie Josh Ajudo has like a great training camp. I uh, found that interesting just because you know I don't think he was particularly good as a rookie though. He was kind of thrown into the fire as a fifth round pick, which you can't really have high expectations. I think the previous staff really liked him. Uh, he missed almost all of last year with a knee injury. He spoke the other day about that. He's he's a guy that he's like one of those old school Dave Gettleman esque like hog molly guys that just loves like hitting dudes and and you know playing the offensive line. I think he's going to fit good with his offensive line coach, but. Um, I don't know. I find that I find it interesting that he's kind of like locked in as the number one. And I, Zudu has actually been running with at left tackle yes. uh, with Andrew Thomas out, which I found interesting. It seems like they want to 
maybe make him the swing backup uh, at like all spots, essentially, which is a lot to ask of a rookie guy because I don't think they project him as a tackle. I don't think you would have drafted him that early if you did because uh, they had too big of a need at guard. But I mean, what, what do you make of the offensive line? I mean, it seems like the rest of it's pretty locked in. You have Thomas, who's banged up still. You hope his ankle's not doesn't linger in the season. John Feliciano at center, Glowinski right guard, Evan Neal right tackle. The left guard has always been like kind of the question mark. I mean, we, I would think that they're going to have an open competition for the spot, but I mean, maybe they've seen what they, what they need to see on film and so far, and they feel like Shane Lemieux is the guy there. It's not like they have a competition necessarily between some you know really proven candidates yeah. or really good players. So uh, maybe he's just the best of a pretty average bunch. And um, I, Corey Cunningham got that work with the first team left tackle in the first OTA yeah. of the three that we were able to see. Now we've seen three. Today's their tenth and final OTA, and uh, but then it was Zudu. Like I, I at that practice last week, I was like, "Wait, he was there yesterday too?" And he kind of he struggled a bit too, honestly. Yeah, I mean, so this is a guy who was drafted to be a guard, right? I mean, so yeah. he has versatility, obviously, and they feel like he he can provide depth, and he's not going to be their starting left left tackle, obviously. So I would say that um, it may be injuries happen. Yeah, uh, that's what I was about to say. I think it maybe maybe should be concerned that they don't have like a very good option as a backup tackle. I mean, Andrew Thomas is hurt right now. So, um, I mean, in general, if you lose a starting offensive lineman, you're probably in rough shape because that's just kind of ha- like if backup offensive linemen are backups for a reason, because if you're good enough to start, you're starting somewhere probably, unless like you're the Eagles who just have like 10 starting quality guys. But um, so, yeah, that'll be interesting. I think they're trying to develop some of these young guys to be good backups. You know, I think they that's what they wanted out of Matt Parrott when they drafted him a few years ago. And he just never became that. You can't really rely on him, and he's injured. So, um, you know, you just hope that the starting five is good and that they stay healthy because if you're starting Josh Zudo at left tackle at any point this season, you're probably in trouble. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Um, trying to think, I don't. I didn't really have any other major takeaways. I mean, we know the secondary is going to be an issue. Ellerson Smith looked pretty good. He's an interesting guy. He might get a chance to be like the third edge rusher and fill in when guys get hurt and stuff like that. Has, has, has anything stood out to you just in general? Yeah. I mean, obviously we talked a little bit about Darius Slayton, but just the fact that, um, you know, their receiver situation while, while crowded, I think, and everyone's talking about how crowded the room is and how, how many options they have. Like, unless these guys stay healthy, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, like you kind of, I mean, it's one thing for Kadarius Tony to be there on paper for Kenny Galladay to be there on paper. Um, and, and, and look, Sterling Shepard's coming off a torn Achilles late in the season. He's not going to be ready for a while. So man, I'd be ready um, for week one. Yeah. Right. So, so this is an opportunity for Wondale Robinson in the spring, not only in the spring, but like during the season to, yep. to, to have a contributing role. It might here actually, valuable, It's a valuable for him that all these guys are hurt. Cause he's getting legit reps with Daniel Jones right now, which is pretty important. I would say so. Yeah. And as far as Slayton goes, I mean, they free up. I mean, people say, well, they might be listening and say, why would they cut him? I mean, he's he's entering the final year of his rookie contract. He may not be in their future plans. There's like a limited dead money to cutting him or trading him. Save pretty good um, money on it, yeah. Save $2.5 million. Even if you don't use it this year, you can roll it to next year. There's so many so many different reasons that you would that you would perhaps try to move him, move him and if you can't move him, cut him. Um, I don't know what they could get for him in the trade. But, it would uh, probably be one of those like BJ Hill for Billy Price type things. Yeah, they could get a player or – um, or maybe a conditional late round pick, something like that. But um, yeah, I think that the receiver is an, a really interesting position because on paper you look at it and say, well, well that's one spot where they're probably on paper, pr- probably okay for considering the overall state of their roster. Uh, 
but like, like got to see these guys out there in the field, you know, like yeah. let's see Kadarius Tony actually practice. Let's see Kenny Galladay actually practice. Um, That's why the way they, the way they structure their 53 man roster. I mean, I know the practice squad stuff's different now, but I'm going to be curious to see how many receivers they keep because when you have three guys that are banged up, not only right now, but generally like you, you probably have to keep a, an extra body or two. They're like, I would, they might have to keep six or seven receivers. I would think. Good point. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so I mean, in terms of Daniel Jones, it's hard to like evaluate him uh, right now just because, yeah. like I said, he doesn't have his receivers there. Um, I think something I have noticed is Tyrod Taylor throws a really good ball, but the backups are so bad that he's getting pressured or like in quotes sacked almost every play. Or is re- literally, re- he had like three receivers drop balls yesterday. <laughs> I f- like you, you feel bad for the guy almost because he has to run out there with these backups, but um, backups to backups, really, yeah. So once the receivers are all healthy, you'll maybe get we'll get a better read on how like he he runs the offense and stuff like that. But even then, though, the backup offensive line is always going to be an issue for him. So um, I guess that's the nature of being a backup quarterback in like training camp and stuff. Yeah, no, I mean they just need a guy who can p- be competent if they need yeah. him to play. Like obviously, ideally they uh, they wouldn't play him at all. But uh, we'll see how that plays out and. Uh, yeah, I think the the biggest thing with Daniel Jones is a lot of the progress and a lot of the important stuff that's happening for him this spring is happening behind the scenes with how he's learning the offense. Not necessarily, you know, the type of throws he's making to these receivers who are um, obviously a lackluster group right now considering the injuries. For sure. All right, we can wrap up there. Um, by the next time we talk to you guys, the Giants will be off for the summer, so it'll be like a little summer break. Uh might be our last pod for a little while just because there's not that much going on but um thank you guys for listening and uh we'll talk to you again soon